0: Happy Easter! He is risen. Yeah, we're excited. This is uh, this is uh, we joke. This is like the Super Bowl for Christians. This is the big deal. Uh, the tomb is empty and we got reasons to celebrate and we want to try to better understand that. But even if you don't grasp the gospel, which we hope you leave here with a better grasp of that, but if you live in our culture, you see this, uh, season as a joyful time. Uh, it's time families get together. You have brunch on Easter. I mean, any day with brunch, that's a good day. Uh, that's an exciting time. Uh, people dress up. They have, um, Easter dresses you put on your best clothes like you get together with family uh you have great food there's like two or three guys have already showed me pictures of meat they have on their smoker already it's like just men sharing pictures of meat with each other It was great uh no one offered invitation to join them uh but it looked good it looked good and and uh people are going to hunt for eggs afterwards or do some of that I have no idea what the connection to that Easter is, but somebody's making some money off that, and they're going to have a good time. Uh, But this is a big deal. Uh, There's a joyous time around Easter. Um, There's there's a joy-filled celebration. But has anyone um, had someone or something steal your joy? Can you relate to that question? Like, there's a situation where it's like, maybe it's today. Like, we had this brunch planned. I didn't know they were going to show up, and they did. And now you're just a wreck for the rest of the time. Um, or you had like situations or circumstances, maybe your team lost, or, or things didn't go well, like you just had something kind of, like you didn't want to lose it, like nobody doesn't not want to be joyful, right, but it, but something or, or someone kind of stole it from you, and you were joyful, and now you're, you're angry or sad or frustrated, anybody can relate to that? Amen. You had your joy stealing? Uh, uh, I don't, this is awkward, I don't want to brag, it's like pastor of a big church, all wealthy and everything. But in my house, uh, we have two TVs. Uh, When you make it, you'll know. You'll know. So we got two TVs, but here's the problem. We have one remote that, yeah. Now the good news is that remote works for both TVs but you kind of have to compete for the remote. Uh, and and sometimes, like, if you're going to be down in the basement watching TV, like, you need to come get the remote to turn on. I want you to bring it back. And then if you want to turn the channel, you've got to come up again and get the remote to, to work the TV. Because here's what steals my joy. It's so frustrating. It's just, like, sad to admit it. But when I have to look for the remote control when I'm going to watch TV, that just sets me off like no other. Like, come on. Are you serious? And if we could just narrow it down where I could at least look in one room, no. But there's, like, two floors. The possibilities where this remote control can be but sometimes it's like silly things that just steal your joy so quickly like a remote control or a team loss or something like really small and sometimes big awful things steal your joy like cancer or a car wreck or a job loss here's the reality everyone in this room has had will have and will continue to have your joy attacked what if there was a joy that couldn't be stolen That like no matter what happened to you, what you went through, no matter what the headlines were, like you had a joy that nobody could take from you. There's an aspect of of Christianity that I would say a core aspect of Christianity that sadly often gets overlooked or or forgotten or missed. And that is that God cares about your joy. And you think about that because that's a pretty profound statement like The God of the universe who created everything, who tells the sun to rise and set, controls the galaxy, he cares about your joy. Like that's something you have in common with God. Like you both care about your joy. You may disagree on where it's found, how to have it, how to lay hold of it. I'm going to say he's right and maybe you're misguided at times. But you you both care deeply about your joy. And we tend to remember that God cares about our morality, which he does. And that God cares about our doctrine, which he does. But well, we can forget that God cares about your joy. In fact, we could spend a lot of time just seeing this everywhere in scripture. I want to highlight a few passages for you. This is in John chapter 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you. So he just got done doing some teaching. But here he tells why he's telling them what he told them. That my what? Joy, joy may be in you and that your what? Joy. May be full. He's like, I got a joy I want to put in you. Like, I know you got your joy, but this is like God-sized joy. And I want you to taste it. I want you to experience it. I want you to have it. And I want your joy to be full. Here's another passage. This is Romans 15, 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. He's saying God is the filler of joy. Like, he is able to fill you, supply you with joy. That's where it comes from. Christmas, um, message of Christmas Angels show up to the shepherds to bring you good news of what? Great joy. He's like, I got some news that's going to bring joy to you. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, right? He's like joy is something that God produces in you. Psalm 1611, uh, in your presence is the fullness of what? Right? And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Like God is a God of joy. He cares about your joy. Listen, guys, I want you to get this. Joy is central to Christianity. You may have not thought of it that way before, but joy is central to Christianity. It's kind of the heartbeat, the engine behind it. Here's a, a one-verse parable that Jesus told. This is Matthew 13, 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his what? Joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He was motivated to sacrifice out of joy for what he found. Because when Jesus is your treasure, he's your pleasure, Right? It's like, I want this more than anything else. And I'm willing to sacrifice it. It is joy that was driving them. Guys, Christians shouldn't be miserable people. Christians should be miserable people. Right? And you're like, well, I know some Christians. (laughs) Do you? I mean, are they really Christians? Are they really like rejoicing in the gospel? Like we're free people. We're forgiven people. We're saved people. And that should reflect in our life. And joy is what drives worship. Our joy is what drives morality. Our joy is what drives generosity. Our joy drives evangelism. Our joy drives compassion. So here's my question I want to pose to you How is your joy? How's your joy right now? Like you're, you're, you're looking for it. I mean, we all are. I mean, maybe you're looking for it in a relationship or a paycheck. Or a status, or a reputation, or an acceptance, but but we're all looking for joy. But I mean, before we even get to like where we find it, just how is it? How is your joy? Would you say that your joy is full? Is that passage in John fifteen a little intriguing? Like, what's this joy of Jesus? I'd like to get a taste of that, because maybe I don't know that divine sized joy. But but how's your joy doing? Is it full? Is it fragile? Like, it's there, but, but if this relationship breaks down, or if I lose this job, or if this paycheck situation changes, like, my joy is gone. Like, could, could it break easy? Are you potentially looking for joy in the wrong places? Thinking the wrong things are going to satisfy and please and, and bring joy into your life? And how do we have an indestructible joy that can stand up to the difficulties in life? And you're at church... On Easter, so bonus points for everybody. I bet you can get the right answer. If I said, where do we find joy? What would you say, church? Jesus. Jesus. I I lobbed that one to you, but you got it. Listen to me. There's a difference between getting the right answer and actually experiencing the truth. Like I I know you, you answered correctly, but do you have the joy of the Lord in your life? Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Are you experiencing the joy of the Lord in your life? I want to look at a passage that I think is really appropriate for Easter that speaks to finding indestructible joy. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 16. We don't have a lot of verses, but we're going to look at John chapter 16, starting in verse 16. You guys ready to go? Let's go. You guys ready? That was, that was like mean coach voice. I didn't mean like... That was, you didn't get rebuked there. That was all right. All right. John 16, starting in verse 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by A little while. We do not know what he's talking about. So this is a little comforting here. They're confused. And it's like, okay, I'm glad the disciples have been confused too. But there's a bit of poetic language. It's like, again, a little while, and you're not going to see me. And then again, a little while, and you're going to see me. It's like, what does that mean? What are you like? Is Jesus going, don't see me, right? Is, he and is that too soon? Is it too soon to do that? But you're kind of like, what does this mean? Like, I'm trying to figure this out. And like, okay, disciples are confused. And it's like, we're going to not see you. Then we're going to see you. Like, what, what are you getting at here? Well, here's where it goes. Verse 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me? And again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn in to joy. So he's giving them a heads up. That's what he's doing. He's saying, listen, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. You got some tough stuff ahead of you. You're gonna go through some things that are gonna produce and bring about sorrow. It's gonna be challenging, but then you're gonna go through some stuff that's gonna pull you out of the sorrow and, and give you joy. And it's just gonna heads up like this: this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna get some bad news. And that bad news is going to lead to sorrow. But then you're going to get some good news. And that good news is going to lead to joy. Right? So bad news is coming. It's going to produce sorrow. Good news is coming. And that's what's going to produce joy. Like he's giving them that heads up. Do you guys remember uh, it was just, just a little bit over a week ago when the tornadoes kind of ripped through our area? Is so they like a week ago? Okay. It's awkward. Like do we talk? Do we not talk? I'm, it's a different arena. It's, it's weird. About a week and a half ago, some tornadoes ripped through here, and my wife's family, she has an aunt and uncle that has a farm, and the farm got hit uh, kind of near the Tipton area, and the roof is gone, the, the whole third level, the attic is gone, the barns are gone, a uh, side of the house, the whole side of the house is gone, uh, and as the storms are going through, uh, we're sitting in our living room, and we get a text, or Marcy gets a text that just says, Deb, who's her aunt, uh, and Bill, her uncle, it says that... Uh, the farm got hit. Deb got sucked out of the house. Bill's missing. That's all we got, right? That information. So she's crying. We circle up to pray. Like, we, we don't, like, know what's going on. Um, so we finish praying, and then we get another text. Oh, never mind. We found Bill. It's like, What? You're going to delay that text, like kind of collect your information. But, but you kind of get devastating news, bad news that produces sorrow. And then you get good news that produces joy. Like, have you ever had someone you love and you think they're dead? Right? And, that, and, and then you find out they're not dead? That's what's happening here. Like, Jesus is preparing them. Like, hey, you're going to think I'm dead. I'm not dead. You're going to think I'm gone. I'm not gone. Like, you're going to have some bad news and it's going to produce sorrow. But there, there's good news following that and it's going to produce joy and he's trying to like get them to lean into the pain that they're about to experience because there's purpose behind it look at verse 21 because then he gives an illustration of this he says when a woman is giving birth she has sorrow because her hour has come but when she has delivered the baby she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world now some of you ladies are like oh no i remember I remember, right? He's not saying like you just kind of forget. He's saying there is pain and anguish, but there is a joy, a new life that comes that kind of supersedes or overshadows your pain. That's what's going to happen. You're going to have a pain and you're going to have anguish at what you're about to go through, but there is a joy that's going to supersede that. It's going to going to overshadow that and it's going to kind of rule your emotions, not your pain. That's, that's what's coming. Uh, and then we get to verse 22 and this is the verse that I really want us to examine. And, and hear what he's saying here. So verse 22, he says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. You get that? No one will take your joy from you. That, that's that indestructible joy that we talked about. Like, can we find a joy that nobody could steal, that nothing can steal, that no circumstance can steal? Jesus says so. Jesus says, you're gonna, you're gonna, or I'm going to see you again, and your, uh, your sorrow will turn into joy. Your sorrow will turn into joy, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So what is this joy that no one can take from you? Because you're going to drop a sentence like that. I say we slow up. <laughs> okay, let's examine that. Let's, let's take a closer look. What is it that you're saying that we can lay hold of this indestructible joy? And the phrase they're trying to make sense of Is a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. And not seeing Jesus is connected to sorrow. And seeing Jesus is connected to joy. Are you track with me so far? Like, a little while, you're not going to see me, sorrow. Right? And then a little while, you're going to see me, joy. Like Those two things are connected. So what does he mean by that? Well, now, it could be a reference to Christ's second coming. He's like, hey, you see me now. Pretty soon you're not going to see me. Like, I'm going to go away. I'm going to the Father. But someday, someday I'll come back. And when I come back, there'll be joy, right? Which is true. Like, we've been looking at the book of Revelation. He's coming back on a white horse, bringing judgment, making all things new, all things right. And that's going to be a joyous day. Amen, church? Right? Like, he could be talking about his second coming. Like, it's going to be rough now, but I'm going to return. And in my return, there will be joy. But if that's the case... And the message he's given is that this life is just full of sorrow. It's full of sorrow. But eternity, eternity will be full of joy. And there, in eternity, in heaven or in God's kingdom, there nobody can take your joy. Here, all the time. Like, it's just, just buckle up. It, it's it's, it's going to be a rough ride. But you got something good coming. Which may be a posture some of you have taken. Like, hey, life is tough. Suck it up. Someday Jesus will return, then we can be joyful. And I'm sure you're a lot of fun to hang out with. Right? No, 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 don't let me get too hard. There's some truth to that. Okay, there, there is some truth to that. Life is hard. We live in a broken, sinful world full of injustices and just you know rebellion against God. And we walk in this day in and day out, and it's tough. And Jesus is coming. And when Jesus does come, we will experience a joy that is unmatched in this world. Like we read in Psalm 1611. In your presence is the fullness of joy. You think you got joy now? You're going to have the fullness of joy in the presence of Jesus. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, so that's true. I just don't think that's what he's talking about in this text. It doesn't really fit the context. Nor does it fit the message that we get in Scripture. Because in Scripture, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Like it's something that would be produced in your life now in the midst of difficulties. And in the context, it seems more likely that Jesus is talking about his death and his resurrection. Hey, I'm going to die, and you're going to see it, and I'm going to rise again, and you're going to see it. And there's going to be joy, and there's going to be sorrow. And, And that happened. Like, that's fitting to the flow of the Gospel of John. That happened. The disciples witnessed the crucifixion of Christ. They were full of sorrow and anguish and confusion and pain and anger. And then they saw the resurrected Jesus and they rejoiced and were full of joy. So that happened. So if you go back through that lens and you read verse 20, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament at the crucifixion, at my death. But the world will rejoice because they wanted this. The world hated me. The world put me on the cross, right? Actually, the love of Christ did. But he's saying the world's going to rejoice in this. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy at the resurrection that's that's what he's saying so you're going to see death and you're going to see victory over death he's like i'm going to die and i'm going to rise again and you're going to see it you're going to witness it at my death you're going to be full of sorrow but at my life at my resurrection you're going to be full of joy and you're going to have this joy because of the resurrection and it's a joy that no one can take from you that's what he said so not seeing Jesus as a reference to his death, seeing Jesus as a reference to his resurrection, which means this indestructible joy that Jesus is talking about is a joy that we get not at the second coming, but at the resurrection. Now, there will be joy at the second coming, but that's just not what he's talking about here. He's saying this is a joy that you get at the resurrection. Now, why is that important? Because when we study the Bible, we want to ask questions like this. We're like, what are you saying? What, what, are, you, what are you getting at here? Why is that important? Because if that's the case, then the joy that Jesus is talking about is just not some someday joy. Like, oh, someday, when all things are made new. Like, someday you can be joyful, but until then you'll be miserable. That's not what he's, talk- he's not talking about just just someday joy. And he's talking about a joy that cannot be taken away, that's connected to his presence. So it's not a temporary joy for the disciples. Like, hey, when you see me resurrected, you're going to have joy again. But then he goes away to the Father. It's not like their joy goes away then. It's indestructible. No one can take it from you. So you don't lose that joy when when Jesus uh, ascended into heaven. But they have a joy now because of the resurrection. And that joy cannot be stolen or taken away by any situation or circumstance that we go through. But this is important to get, guys. The disciples' circumstances didn't change. They were still uh, wanted by the Roman government. They would still face persecution. They would still die violent deaths as martyrs. They would still go through all these difficulties. And they would have a joy that nothing could take from them, that no one could steal from them, that no circumstances, trial, difficulty would ever take away. Like, How does that work? How does that work? What do they get there? Like, how does Christ's resurrection equal their joy? How does Christ's resurrection equal our joy? In a way that, like, no matter what we go through, our joy can withstand it and and stay standing and still be the greatest influence that shapes our emotions. How, how does that happen? Here, here's the simple answer: faith. Faith. Let me show you. Go back to that Romans passage. Romans fifteen thirteen. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing. Like through believing you get filled with joy in your faith. In the act of believing. Or, or here's a story. You guys are probably familiar with this. It's a couple pages over. Um, poor Thomas gets labeled Doubting Thomas. Uh, his, the rest of history um, because of this moment. but But this is in John 20, 24. He says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and the place of my fingers in the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So, talking about FOMO, you I mean, Thomas missed out like, no, like you all see, saw the resurrected Jesus, and I was there, and and he doubts that it happened. Like no, that didn't happen. Could, could you imagine trying to explain that to a friend? No, no, we saw him. No, no, I saw him die. Like I, was, I saw him buried. Like it happened. Like you can't tell me this. Like no, we saw him. Like he's alive, and that you're trying to like figure this one out. And he and he, he he doubts. But then this is what happened. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, would that not be something? Like you're standing in this room, no knock, it's just all sudden like, oh, there's Jesus. And he's like, yeah, what's up? Right? He's just kind of, um, he's there, like he's kind of blows away and he, he addresses Thomas. He said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? And then look at this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You know what that word blessed means? Happy. Like you get joy in your believing. Believing in the resurrection produces in you a joy, a happiness. We get to experience our 1 Peter eight. Uh, we preached on this last year at Easter, but I was told in my teacher's meeting, "It's like, don't worry, nobody remembers what you said last year anyway. So that was comforting. <laughs> It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you what? Believe in him and rejoice with what? Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This, this rejoicing and joy is coming from your faith or the act of believing that this is, this is true. So there's a connection between belief and joy. But we have to ask, believing what exactly? it's not just just believing. Believing what? Or more specifically, believing what about the resurrection? And when we entered into kind of this confusion in chapter 16, like, what does Jesus mean? Like, we're not going to see him, and then we're going to see him. And when we don't see him, it's sorrow. And when we see him, it's joy. And when we do see him, we get that joy no one can ever take. Like, we're jumping into a conversation. So if we kind of go back to the beginning of that conversation, in chapter 14, verse 1, he says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself and where I am, you may be also. And then you jump over to verse 18. He says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Now, guys, you got to get this. Now, Christ's death and resurrection wasn't just him beating death like just another miracle. Like, oh, yeah, you can feed 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and fish. You, you can uh, heal the lame. You can give sight to the blind. Uh, you can raise Lazarus from the dead. And you can raise yourself from the dead. Like, that's, that's another thing that you do, like just another miracle. It wasn't just another miracle. It was like the accomplishment of his mission. Are you track with me? Like the death of resurrection is not just another miracle. Christ's death and resurrection was the accomplishment that gives us joy or the reason for our joy. So you get know, like accomplished what on the cross that is so joy producing for people who believe or have faith. The death and resurrection of Jesus means that you are completely forgiven of your sins. It is accomplished. It is finished. You have been redeemed fully. You have been adopted into the family of God. You have a hope in heaven. He will not leave you as an orphan. He's away preparing a place for you. He will come back for you. He's got you. And you are forever his. That's what it means. Think about it. Because of the resurrection, no disappointment, heartache, loss, injustice, Failure or suffering has the final word for those in Christ Jesus. And there will be loss and there will be suffering and there will be injustice and there will be failures. But it's not the last word. It's not the last word. Like nothing can undo what Christ has done. Nothing can undo what Christ has accomplished. It is finished. We don't work for it. He did it. Like, he did that. He accomplished our redemption, our forgiveness. Every wrong you've ever done, every wrong you ever will do, paid in full. Are you kidding me? And then I'm like, okay, is it? Oh, you rose from the dead? Bank on it. Like, it's it's true. Like, he, he validated himself in the resurrection. He validated what he accomplished in the resurrection. When he said, it is finished, he validated that in the resurrection, you're like, oh yeah, you are preparing a place for us. You won't leave us as orphans. You will come back for us. It's incredible. Incredible. Nothing can stop. How awesome is our God? And church, we got to get that. And not just on Easter when you get like a choir to help. Like we need to get that on Tuesday when we're sick of work. Amen. When we're in the doctor's office and we don't like the news we got when we're trying to navigate marital strife, and we lose a job. Church, listen, because we believe good news, that's what the gospel means, good news, our faith is a joy-producing faith. If you believe that you are forgiven, that you are redeemed, that you are loved, that there are promises that apply to you, other things don't really steal your joy because nothing can undo that. Here, here's what happens. Other things steal your attention away from your joy. Like you've been there. Like you read that headline, you have that conversation, whatever, and you're just consumed by it. It's just eating you up and you're just kind of locked into lesser things and it's shaping you. It's shaping you. And we can't let our circumstances talk to us louder than our faith does. You hear me? Like we can't let our circumstances talk to us louder than our faith does. We, we can't let the news headlines or our situations we go through be more influential in our joy than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now sometimes the Bible commands actions. Like don't murder, don't steal. And sometimes the Bible commands emotions. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And sometimes the Bible commands thoughts. Set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Think of, set your minds on things above, not on things below. And church, we got to understand the connection between those three. Because the things that we dwell on and give our, our mind to, our thoughts to, shape and stir up our affections. And our affections shape our actions. They spill out in how we behave. So, so here's, here's what I want us to remember. Dwell on the gospel to access your joy. And I say access. Because if you're a Christian. You have it. Maybe you haven't accessed it in a while. You need to dwell on the gospel. To access your joy. And this isn't rocket science. But it does take like mental intentional energy. To cast your thoughts. To the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. On the cross and in the empty tomb. You need to think about it. Like, how many times do you think the disciples. Had to go back to this. When they're in jail when they're being persecuted, when they're suffering, and they got to go back and be like, Jesus is alive. Like, this is tough, but I know it's true. I I am free. Like, this is not how my story ends. Like, how many times do they have to go back to that truth? And And when I talk about having a joyful life, I'm not talking about having a careless life or a carefree life. There are things, as Christians, we're called to care for, to fight for, to struggle after. But in the struggle, we never lose our joy. We never lose our joy. And there are times in, in struggles when life just so, seems overwhelming. We need a resurrection timeout. You know, you're watching sports and the game's not going well. The coach calls a timeout. Like, hey, we've we got to regroup. Let's see if we can regroup. You've had that situation in life. I'm at work and things aren't going well. And this person is saying things that are really upsetting me in this situation. And I'm just getting angry and I need a timeout, right? And what you think is I need to step away from the situation But when I do that, I I just re-examine the situation, and I think about what was said to me or what was done to me, and I'm trying to calm down, and I'm probably having imaginary arguments. This time I'm winning in the situation, and I just kind of need to step away until I step back in. That's a timeout. That's not a resurrection timeout. What we need is a resurrection timeout. Like, when those situations arise, we need to, like, okay, I need a timeout. I need to step away. It's like, all right, I'm getting worked up here. Let me just review am I not completely forgiven and redeemed by Jesus Christ and work on the cross yes I am okay did he arise from the grave yes he did is he alive preparing a place for me yes he is will he leave me as an orphan no he won't will he come back for me yes he will is this how my story ends in this strife in this office no it's not it's in glory with God okay time in I'm ready now Like to kind of reset our mind on the hope of the gospel. Here's what we need to do, church. We need to go to our faith, what we believe, and we need to make a joy withdrawal. Because we have a joy-producing faith. And we need to go to our faith and we need to make a joy withdrawal. And listen to me, we got an account that will never run out. We have an account that will never run out. Jesus is not telling his disciples that their joy won't be attacked and challenged because it was. What he's telling them is that their joy is going to be undefeated. It will come up against all kinds of things and it will win every time. That's why Paul can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not like some motivational verse for you to fulfill your dreams. Paul's in prison. And what he's saying is like, prison? I can do prison. You want me to mop floors? I can do that. You want to kill me? I'm fine there. Like, I can be, you know, brought up, I can be brought low, I can have much, I can have little, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, how? How does he strengthen you? The resurrection. Paul knows, like, this isn't how my story ends. I know how my story ends. Like, I will not be left as an orphan. Like, my king is coming for me. Like, that's the source of his joy. That's why he say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain? How is to die is gain? The resurrection. Because his resurrection is my resurrection. I'll live because he lives. Like he taps into that. Guys, listen. One of the greatest evidences of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the unshakable joy of his followers. The unshakable joy of his followers. And you saw it in the first century. It doesn't matter if you throw me in prison or throw me into the Colosseum with lions. Or tie me to a stake and douse me with oil to light me on fire for Nero's gardens. Does it matter if you try to boil me in a vat of oil like the Apostle John? Christians just keep singing. You cannot rob their joy. And throughout history, the way Christians have given their life for their king and have spreading of the gospel, you see it in... Slavery, we have people who are so mistreated, yet they keep singing. They keep singing their spirituals and their songs rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see it now when somebody sits in a doctor's office and they get devastating news and they show up at church the next week with their hands raised because they know this isn't how my story ends. You see it when people lose a job and they don't know what they do and they walk away so thankful that they are completely redeemed and their inheritance is in heaven. One of the greatest evidences of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the unshakable joy of his followers. So let me ask you as we end, how's your joy? How's your joy? Or, or let me ask it this way. How's your faith? Do you really believe that you are forgiven? Every wrong done, done, Every failure you've ever had, do you believe that it was paid in full the cross of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that the tomb is empty and his resurrection means your resurrection? Do you believe that you will not be left as an orphan, but your king will return for you, and he is away preparing a place for you? Do you believe that? Because isn't that just the most incredible news in the world? If not, and I get it, this is a family gathering. Maybe a friend has been bothering you to come to Easter for a long time and we met at the Paramount and this is neutral ground so you felt more comfortable coming. Like I, I'm not going to assume that everybody in here believes that and maybe you're wrestling. Like I don't, I don't know what to do with Jesus. I'm trying to navigate that. I just want to tell you that there is an everlasting, unbreakable joy found in Jesus Christ that is offered to you. And it is a joy that will not be found Anywhere else in this world. If you do believe that, if you do believe in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the redemption found in him, the resurrection, then church, let's rejoice in our salvation. Let's sing like saved people. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I don't know what kind of week or what kind of life situations are happening in this room. Knowing some people and their stories, I look out and I know there's some difficult stuff happening. And I just pray that we would just take a resurrection time out right now. We would step away from whatever headline situation or circumstance we're walking through right now and we would fix our eyes on a bloody cross and an empty tomb. And we would be reminded of how amazing your love is, how amazing your grace is, how complete your forgiveness is, how true your redemption is. And we we would make a joy withdrawal, knowing our future is secure in you. You are an awesome God. And I just pray that you would be Honored and pleased by the praise of your people because you set us free. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen.